0: Well, good morning again everyone. If you're new to fullness, welcome. Glad you're here. How is you, Randy? Okay. I'm about to lose it. God is so good. Amen. All right. <laughs> if you weren't here last week, it's anyway. We've been doing a series uh, called This Time Tomorrow. What are you going to be doing this time tomorrow? We've been talking about work. And so we've talked about various aspects of work, and I I loved it. It was a five-part series on work, which was great. And now I'm extending it to think about this time next year. And I know each week over the last five weeks, I've had a different person who is engaged in work in some capacity to... Uh, come up here and give their testimony and to stand and what they're going to be doing so today i want to honor all the stay-at-home mothers so if you're a stay-at-home mom stand up i want to pray for you i mean i could have a hundred different testimonies but if you're stay stay-at-home mom um wife you don't have to be a mom you could be a wife stay-at-home wife or mom stand up i'm going to pray for you lord thank you some of you confused about if you are or not well, I might be, I don't know, I stay home by, by like 30% of the time, I'm not there every moment, I go to Walmart, so <laughs> you know what I mean, stand up and let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for the wives and mothers here today who, who are working tirelessly uh, without compensation, but Lord, as we've looked, work is not about compensation, it's about contribution and who contributes more. Than these moms these wives and so lord we just speak blessings over them we pray that god you would direct them that you would give them peace that you would multiply their minutes that the words of their mouth would be life-giving in their home we pray that god the peace of god would surround them in every way we pray against the schemes of the enemy that would try and attack them and tell them that uh, they're not uh, being successful or they're a bad mom or a bad wife or just how the enemy would come against them, and we speak life to them today. Lord, we thank you for them. We speak blessings, and as we launch into this series on marriage and the family, I just pray for a non-condemning, life-giving word from you in all of our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, moms. Give them a hand. Thank our moms and wives who stay at home. So, I want to start this series called This Time Next Year. We're going to look at it over the next four weeks, and I want to begin by quoting a great theologian, Justin Bieber. (laughs) Justin uh, Bieber said, this is just like two weeks ago, he said this, by 20, I made every bad decision you could have thought of and went from one of the most loved and adored, I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but we'll go with his statement of himself, most loved and adored people in the world to the most ridiculed, judged and hated person in the world. I think on both extremes, he's a little, he's a little much, but I'll stay with this point. I started doing pretty heavy drugs at 19 and abused all of my relationship. It, it's taken many years to bounce back from all of these terrible decisions: fix broken relationships and change relationship. Habits. For those of you who don't even know Justin Bieber is, which I know there are some of you here who don't even know who I'm talking about, he was a pop star in his teens, very well known, and pretty well derailed himself uh, through drugs and relationships, and uh, has since I not. I don't want to judge where people stand with the Lord, but um, through uh, Carl Lentz in New York and others in California, he is uh, in church. Uh, he just got married. He's trying to turn his life around. Um, he, here's my point. Most of us don't get where we are by the decision we made last night. I mean, we do, but... Most of us, the the status of our life has been determined by the decisions we made a year ago, or the year before that, or the year before that. There's a biblical principle called sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. And the sowing and reaping principle is this, you get what you sow. By the way, you always get what you sow. It's one of the sowing and reaping principles. You always get what you sow. So if you want to reap something, then you've got to start sowing that something. I know this makes sense to you, but we don't live like it. We think if we want to sow a great life, reap a great life, we can live like hell today and not reap the whirlwind tomorrow or the next day or the next year. So one of the principles of sowing and reaping is you always get what you sow. Second principle is this, you always reap after you sow, right? In other words, you can't, you can't just start reaping today. Now, I'm saying this because this is really important. I, I, we're going to talk about marriage and the family. And I do a lot of marriage counseling, a lot of marriage counseling. <clears throat> Generally, there are two things that happen in the marriage counseling room. Number one, the couple comes in, and uh, inevitably, the person I'm talking to is not the problem. It's their spouse. It always goes like this. Pastor, our marriage would be great if you would fix them. And the other person is basically saying the same thing. Our marriage would be great if you fix them that's one issue the second issue is generally we want it fixed today well I'm like you know what you spent 10 years of sowing this I'm not going to be able to fix it today we might be able to put out the fire today but if you want to reap something different in your marriage then you need to start sowing something different today, right? So the idea, and by the way, the third principle of sowing and reaping is you always get more than what you gave. In other words, you always reap more than you sowed. It's the principle of fruitfulness. But here's the part I want us to look at in this series is you want your marriage and your family, your parenting, your children, you want them to be different, then you need to project out a little bit, like a year from now. And to say, what do I want different in my relationship with my wife? What do I want different in my children? What do I want different in me? All of those things, and to do that, you need to start sowing today so that you can reap later, in the right season, a year from now. Because if you don't start sewing, you may be saying, look, I've tried this, it didn't work. Okay, you tried it, how long did you try it? I tried it for like two days and he didn't change. You know, he's not even sure what he's got at that point. That's why. You know, you can't change for two days. It's a long-term project to look out a year from now or two years from now, or five years from now, or 10 years from now, is parenting not like one of the greatest long-term projects there is? I mean, really, you're, you're starting and thinking, you know, by the time they're 15, I, no, I can tell you now, I've got kids that are in their 20s. They're still not now. I'm still projecting for the future. They're doing good, but, you know, and I'm still, so, I'm trying to sow. To reap for to reap for the future. So we're gonna talk about marriage and family. And let me just say again, as I introduce this, um, we got people from every in every circumstance here. We've got people who are single who've never been married. We've got people who are widowed, we've got people who are divorced. We've got people who are divorced and parenting children by themselves. We've got people who are divorced and parenting children jointly with another. We've got, um, we've got married people with and without children. We've got people who are remarried. We've got every, just in this small room, we've got every shape and size. But I want to say this, wherever you are, you are a part of a family. You've had parents, you've had Others in your life, you're part of a church family. You're part of a family. There's a dynamic that takes place within a family. And so even though I'm talking about marriage and family, I do believe that this will apply to everybody, this, these couple of sermons that we're going to do. And I want to kind of project out just a little bit. Today I'm going to talk about <clears throat> fundamentals of marriage. If we're going to build, we need to build on the right foundation, right? And so I want to talk about some God... Principles for Marriage. I know I'm repeating myself, but I think we need the repetition. I need the repetition. We all need this. Rep- we need to hear it again because we, we lose perspective in this world that we live in. Next week, I want to encourage you really, really be back next week. I don't do this often where I push. Not today's sermon, which is pretty good. Uh, but next week is really good. Um, be back because I want to talk about overcoming conflict, how to deal with problems uh, in marriage. And this is by far and away the number one issue that I deal with in marriages. Conflict comes in all of these various forms. And you may say, well, I'm not married. Well, you got a roommate or you got a friend or you're at work. You're going to have conflict, how to deal with conflict, how to deal with uh, problems. I'm going to even tell you how to have a good fight. So come back uh, next week, because there are good fights and bad fights. And so come back next week, we'll talk about that. And then two weeks from today, Alonza Jones, who is going to be doing our marriage retreat, is going to be speaking. So I want to encourage you to come and get a preview of our marriage retreat. And if you haven't signed up for the marriage retreat, I want to encourage you to do so. (laughs) I feel like I'm giving one long commercial here leading into the sermon, but... Let me say this. If you're a parent and you've got preschool children and you're saying, you know, I just can't get away um, for this marriage retreat. I don't know who watched my kids. I don't. So I'm not even going to try to even think about it. I can tell you when Kathy and I were parents of preschoolers, we probably needed a marriage retreat more at that moment in life than any other moment. Um, So what I want to say to you, if you're a parent with small children Figure out a way. Let us help you figure out a way to get to this marriage retreat. You may be saying, "I can't afford it because of the payment." We'll help you get to the marriage retreat. Um, so we want you to sign up. It is critical. Sign up. We'll help you find uh, childcare, whatever the case may be. Do not, do not let it, other reasons keep you from going. Okay, enough commercials. Let's talk about this. It says in Ephesians. I'm struggling here, Mary Jo. Oh, now I'm cruising, I've got, I have got went through 20. Go back, go back to Justin Bieber and then move one forward. <laughs> we run like a well-oiled machine here, <laughs> Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. You know, I'm leaving this afternoon to go to a pastor's prayer thing for a week. I really need it. I really need it. So um, Paul says in Ephesians, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Where does family come from? People, this is a critical question. This question of origin has to be answered because it has ramifications for every arena in our lives. Where does family come from? According to Paul, family derives its name, derives its existence from God the Father. That's why having God as Father is a big deal. It's not just some indication. There's a family origin, a family issue. That gives us the proper perspective. Here's what I want to pre- just kind of throw out there for you just for a second. Could it be that our perspective on family, on marriage, is skewed? Is it right? Here's why I'm asking that question because my contention has been you will act upon what you believe to be true whether it's true or not is actually irrelevant but your actions will be are derived from your belief system and if your belief system about family and marriage and gender and life is skewed then your the way you live out your life will be skewed as well and i you're in church and this is a loving place but at the same time we hold to a biblical view of who God is, how He created us, and how we're to respond to Him. Whole family derives its name. There's this famous book uh, that was published in 1961 called "The Forest People." It's by a guy named Colin Turnbull, and it's a it's a classic little book. And um, he he talks in this book about this tribe in the heart of the Congo of Africa. It's a true story. Um, it's, there were a people and they were a forest people. All they'd ever lived in was very dense vegetation in the forest. And he went in and worked with these people for a long period of time. And one of the leaders of the forest people went with him out of the forest. You know, he's at this point, I think in his 20s or 30s, the forest guy, and he's got a name. I'm not going to get into all the story, but he's got a, he goes out of the forest for the first time in his total existence, and he walks out into a plane, not a flying plane, but an open plane. And he sees on the horizon what looks like to him as insects. And he says to Colin Turnbull, he says, What are those insects? And he says, those aren't insects, those are water buffalo. And the guy from the forest fell down laughing because he'd never seen anything in perspective. His whole perspective had been a dense forest. So the only way he'd ever seen a buffalo was up close. It was always huge. He had no way to even think about, you with me? So to him, they appeared as insects, and he couldn't even believe that it was truly water buffalo. For us at times, when we are caught in a society that tells us thing, we come away with a perspective that this one thing is true. And then if we're not careful, we get out into another perspective of God's perspective, which is... <clears throat> Let me just say this in all love. God's perspective is not limiting. God's perspective is limitless. Most people see religion as a confining, limiting, lifeless. And I want to say the opposite is true. That really when we walk according to the plan of God, we walk into the unimaginable. The limitless places and purposes of God. So today let's look back at some truths about marriage because there's no reason to move forward if we build on the wrong foundation. Let me say that again. There's no reason to move forward if you're building on the wrong foundation because whatever you build, it's going to fall down sometime because the foundation isn't secure. So just Let me just run through these, and you can write them down, look at them, study them later. I know this is a little more theological. Next week will be very practical, So, but this is key. First is this. Receive God's purposes for marriage and family. Why marriage and family? Couldn't have God—I mean, think about it. We could have—God could have figured out a lot of ways for humans to procreate to make other humans. But there's some reason he, he did this. What are some of the reasons? And the Bible lists a bunch of good reasons. And I'm just going to run through them real quick. Here's some of the God's purposes for marriage. Uh, it's the elimination of loneliness. It says in Genesis 2, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make, I'll make a helper suitable for him. An expression of sex. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and he will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, we talk a lot about uh, what does it mean to be one flesh. I mean, we don't talk about it a lot, but we have talked about it in the past to talk about how one flesh is sexual, but it's not limited to the sexual. The one flesh relationship uh, in in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul prays this, I pray that your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am made up of spirit, soul, and body. And I believe that what God desires for me in my relationship with my wife is to have this one flesh relationship where we're united in spirit, we're united in soul, and we're united in body. So the body part, so to speak, the sexual part is really linked to the soul and the spirit. Are y'all following me? This is really good. I mean, if you'll think about it in a different way than just sexual, it will actually help in your relationship. So that's why when God says to to people, don't be unequally yoked, what does he mean be unequally yoked? He says, don't be in a one flesh relationship because you can't really if you're on spiritually different terms. That's why an unbeliever and a believer can't be truly united because the... The very foundation of their relationship is actually spiritual. God in me, God and you. How did God get in me and God get in you? Well, we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit indwells us. Longer teaching. But there is the expression of the, the sexual relationship that's engaged as, as well. There's the multiplication of the human race. It's why God created man and woman and gave them to one another. In marriage, so God created man in His image, in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it." By the way, I would contend this is the one thing we've been really successful at. You know, of all God's purposes in marriage, we've done pretty well at uh, this whole. Be fruitful and multiply. I think there are seven to eight billion people on the planet. by now we're we're getting to the point where we're trying to figure out how do we occupy this planet with as many people whole different whole different sermon. protection and education of children. Ephesians 6:4 says, "Fathers, do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Another passage that goes along with this, Malachi 2:14 and 15. Said God, this is really, I like, I put this on purpose the way uh, Eugene Peterson has worded this. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want for marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Now, don't take this out of context, don't take it in a whole different way than it's intended but do take it as it's intended, which is that God is the one who's made marriage. He's the one who defines it, not us. This is really critical in our day and age, and I'm not going to get into a whole, I could, a whole different discussion about marriage. I'll I'll talk about it a little bit when I talk about um, Jesus in a minute, but God's the one who made it. And What he desires is that when we have children, and this is, I don't think this is a command that you have to have children, but rather when you have children, that what he desires is that you raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Another purpose of marriage, according to the Bible, is the strengthening of our character. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Again, a very complex teaching out of the book of Corinthians, uh, talking about whether you should stay with an unbelieving spouse or not. And the word sanctified here means set apart for holiness. I'm, I'm taking a little out of context in this sense. But I do have to tell you that nothing, nothing has worked out the flesh in my life like being married. Now, you're kind of laughing, but some of you don't. Yeah, that's true. I met Kathy when I was 27. I did then, I still think, she's the most beautiful woman on the earth. I mean, she's gorgeous. I would, I, 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 it's unbelievable that this could marry that. I mean, really, it's just incredible to me that that could, that could in the overall concept of things that that could ever happen. I mean, I had friends after we met Kathy, who met Kathy. Even I think my own brother was like, What? <laughs> you know, that, that like, you're a four, she's a nine, that just doesn't work. You know, that, that gap between. I was 27. I, you know, I thought I had my act together. You know, I'm 27. I'm, I've been to seminary for a long time at that point. I knew the Word of God. I've been raised in the church. I was spirit-filled by then. I'm good. I'm good to get married. Then I got married. And it was like, this stuff started coming out from me. Like, what is this? Why do I feel like this? I'm married to this beautiful, sweet, hard-working woman. And all she does is boss me around. And now I'm really feeling like... She's watching online today, so (laughs) I'm going to be very careful. She's in Macon uh, watching our grandkids. And so, I mean, really, it strengthened my character to be married. And then, right when I thought I really had my act together, we had children. Parents, you know. Just when you think, oh, I've got this other relationship figured out, then God sends you these little serpents into your life who just... (laughs) Quoting Jonathan Edwards again, called them little vipers, not little angels that came into your life. <laughs> yeah, you, you parents who you've got like a one-year-old, even a two-year-old, wait till they get to three. Hold on for the threes. Terrible twos are nothing. Wait till three-year-olds can talk back to you and then come talk to me a little bit more and then have another one and watch them interact. It's, it's incredible. What does all this do? It strengthens our character. It strengthens our character. And listen, you're going to fall, you're laughing a little bit, but some of you know, wow, I have fallen under the weight of this. Rather than letting it strengthen my character, I have caved into where I shouldn't be. So it does, I think that's part of the purpose of marriage, strengthen us. And it is a reflection of our union with Christ. A reflection of our union with Christ. Ephesians 5, um, 21 through 33. And I'm struggling just a little bit because I could preach a sermon on every single one of these points. I mean, I could do a whole seminar on every single one because they are very important. But there's this great passage about honoring and submitting and loving and respecting that's in ephesians 5 21 and following and he ends this discussion with this for this reason he's going back to the genesis passage for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery but i'm talking about christ and the church Through this discussion, you're thinking, oh, he's talking all about marriage. He's giving us all this stuff about marriage and why marriage is great and how we should act. And then he, he hammers it home with this. Christ in the church is not a reflection of marriage. Marriage is the reflection of Christ in the church. So in a reflection, what is the reality? I didn't say that very good. From a logic standpoint, if I'm standing at a lake and I see my reflection, what is the reality? I'm the reality, correct? Was that confusing? Somebody help me out. So I'm the reality. In this picture, what's the reality? Christ and the church is the reality. Marriage is the reflection of this. So God could have chosen anything to reflect the glory of the relationship of Christ and the church. What did he choose? Marriage. This is why it's so crucial. That's why it's so important. That's why it should be, it should be guarded. Listen, I could go down a whole list of um, beneficial things for you to be married. I mean, even secular studies and psychologists. Um, I just read a report the other day that, that people who are married long-term, they live longer They live longer. Some of them don't live longer happily, but they live longer. (laughs) They're actually uh, more likely to be healthy physically, more likely to be healthy healthy mentally. They are more likely to be happy. They recover from illness quicker and more successfully. I mean, the the benefits of being married in a healthy marriage relationship, I want to say, are numerous. World Magazine... Uh, just recently said this. From millennials who grew up attending church, having a strong Christian faith and practice today is linked to the quality of their relationship with their who? Friends? Media? Social media? Schoolmates? No, their parents. There's a conclusion from a new online survey of young adults between the ages of 18 and 38 who attended church as children or teenagers. The survey also found that frequent church attendance and homeschooling were linked to stronger Christian beliefs and behaviors as adults, including believing Jesus is divine and avoiding cohabitation. Long discussion about all of that uh, that we could get bogged down in, but the, the truth is this, that strong families create strong families if we follow God's plan. Marriage was designed by God. You might be saying, well, what about what Jesus said? Well, it's affirmed in the teachings of Jesus, and I'm going to move through this even more quickly, but Jesus affirmed what God had said. I'll just give you one passage. It's this famous passage from Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, which says, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. These are the words of Jesus. And look at what he is affirming. Let me just walk through this passage real fast, and you can underline him. First, gender is God's idea. God made them male and female. Not only is gender God's idea, but marriage is God's idea, which I've just tried to point out to you in the whole first uh, point of the sermon. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He's quoting Genesis, which are the words of God that he's quoting. He goes on and says, sex was created for marriage and the two will become one flesh. All within the context of marriage, all from the book of Genesis, all from the lips of the father. Marriage is the union of man and woman. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, God has joined together. Let me delicately but firmly just step out here just for one second. We we believe that it's clear from both the Old Testament and the New Testament that marriage is between a man and a woman. Our day and age, we are being inundated with the idea that marriage can be between any two parties, regardless of gender, regardless of status, regardless... Now listen, I don't want to trample on people's choices or, or their rights. But if indeed we say that marriage is created by God and that it's his design between genders that he created male and female and that marriage is between a man and a woman, then we can have all, all sorts of other relationships, but I don't believe in honesty we can call them marriage. We can call them whatever. Ever we want as long as long-term relationships are concerned. But if this is true, if the scriptures are correct, here's how God made us. Here's how God created us. And I'm not apologizing for saying this. I'm just, I, I, I don't want to say it in any kind of condemnation or hate or Anything other than God's got a plan. Here's God's truths. Let me also acknowledge that I and you and every person in this room has fallen short of God's plan. Maybe not this place, but some place. And so it's not like I'm throwing stones, saying, "Oh, we gotta." God hates so and so. Or How stupid. I mean, really, it's so dumb. It's, it's not winsome. It doesn't really... I mean, I might as well just turn the sign and the arrow down toward me. God hates me because I'm just as much a sinner as anybody else in the world. But at the same time, can we not embrace God's plan as it being his idea, his plan? He also goes on and says, marriage is permanent. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Again... We've got a ton of people, even in this room, who've fallen short on this. So what do we do? Man, we walk in the grace of God. We're all falling short all over the place. But let's hold up God's plan and say, this is the best way. Where we fall short, let's still honor him and give him glory. I recently read an interview by Rob Bell. And he was interviewed by Oprah. Oprah. Um, I I love them both, but I'm not getting my theology from either one. I mean, they really do intrigue me. Anyway, he was uh, being interviewed, and he was defending his view on same-sex marriage. His view. Now, Rob Bell used to be a pastor in um, somewhere in the Midwest. He's an author. The first book I read by... Rob Bell. I can't even remember the title, but um, I I remember his discussion in the first chapter of his book. Now, this is back when he was pastoring a church. And his discussion was that the Bible is is not like a building or a wall. The Bible is like a trampoline. And I'm like, he's saying it just, you know, depending on the age, you hit the trampoline and it changes your view and your perspective and And I put the book down, I read the rest of the book, but it took me a minute to really work through my own thoughts to say, this guy is headed for a train wreck. Because what he's going to do eventually is interpret the Bible based on his jump, his trampoline, his, he's not going to determine it from God's perspective, but rather he's going to limit it to his perspective, which could change at any moment in time. That's all, that's really his view. This is an outcome of that over a decade later. He says, I think culture is already there and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. When you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and coworkers and neighbors, and they love each other and they just want to go through life with someone. I'm sure you pick up the argument that he's making. If the church's best defense is letters that we have from 2,000 years ago, that's what he's minimized the Bible to, letters from 2,000 years ago. And And he's elevated humanity who's standing in front of him. This is truth. This is not. This truth outweighs that. Here's my question to us. And again, I'm pretty simple in my thoughts. Why bother going to church or being a Christian if you're not going to follow the tenets of the one who established church? In other words, it does it seem incredible? You know, I like these couple of teachings of Jesus, but I don't really like these other ones. So I'm just going to ignore them. But I'm still going to say that I'm a Christian. And I'm going to follow. Logically, to me, it makes no sense. Go find something else to do. I mean, honestly, in love, I want to say this. Quit wasting your time here. You either have a choice to make. I'm either going to follow God's plan. I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus or find somebody who you can just agree with all the time. Now I'm I know I'm sounding ugly. I'm not trying to. I'm just saying there's logically it makes no sense to me. I mean I love you and everything. And I've given my life to the church and pastored it, but if if it wasn't for God and the teachings of Jesus and following after him, I'd find something different. Even though I like you and everything. This is this is fulfilling, but it ain't that fulfilling. You know, it's not kind it's not of like a lot of money engaged here, so to speak. I'm trying to be facetious. But what I'm saying is this. Same with you. We're following after a Lord, right? We're following after a Savior. We're serving a God who is the Father. Jesus said this in Matthew don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, but that doesn't diminish what God says about who he is and how he created humanity. Rick Warren in a book says this, It is a myth that we must give up the biblical truth on sexuality and marriage in order to evangelize. In the end, we must be merciful to the fallen, show grace to the struggling and be patient with the doubting. But when God's word is clear, we must not, and we cannot, back up, back off, back down, back out, or backslide from the truth. Truth is truth, regardless of the age or experience. Truth is an external that stands outside of us, but then is received into us. Let me say that again. Truth is an external that stands outside of us. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The truth, Jesus, but then we receive into us. Truth is not determined by our internals, but by him. It's it's a fundamental aspect of Christianity, and it applies to marriage. Now, hopefully you still love me. Hopefully you're still with me. And here's the third point, which is this. If all of this is true, honor the greatness of marriage. Honor the greatness of marriage. The Bible presents marriage as a divine, God-given institution. You may not be with me on this. I, I, I'm going to offend everybody on all sides. Just, yeah. Wait till you hear what I gotta say first <laughs> before I say go for it. If marriage is a man made institution, then who the heck cares how we define it? Right? I mean, what does it matter? If I made up marriage, or the country made up marriage, or the society made up marriage, let's just redefine it, and make everybody happy. But God defined marriage. God defined marriage. So, honestly, I don't know if you even know this or not. Alabama just is tired of the whole marriage discussion and the whole legal thing. So, Alabama, along with many, many, many other states, just got out of the marriage business. It just, it quit issuing marriage licenses. Because it said, it doesn't, we don't agree with the way the country's defining marriage, and therefore you're forcing us to give marriage license, so now we're not even going to give marriage license. If you wanna have your relationship stamped by the state, just go to a judge and they'll do that. But we're not gonna call it marriage anymore. I mean, Alabama is one of many states that's doing that. So no longer, if you get married, do you have to bring me the marriage certificate for me to sign. Again, this is where I'll probably offend some of you and I'm sorry. You know, what's happened is our country has defined marriage and we said, okay, if a couple is married, then we're going to give them certain extra rights. Like we're going to let them do more deductions on their income tax. We're going to let the two of them have health insurance. We're going to let them have dependents and social security because, because they're married so we're going to give them special rights and this is where gay rights is really really trying to. they've said well that's not fair it's not fair that this these people have this um special they get special tax deductions because they're committed to one another when we're committed to one another we want those special tax deductions and i'm like look everybody if if the country's going to define marriage This is where I'm going to offend you. If the country's going to define marriage, then just let it define it however the heck it wants to. Instead, we as the church have to stand on God's definition of what marriage looks like. Let other relationships be defined by the state and give tax deductions to whoever you want to or health insurance to whoever you want to. But We as a church, we're going to say, we honor the greatness of marriage. Here's God's step. And when we honor the greatness of marriage, we honor it in all of its forms. In other words, this isn't just about gender identity. and This is about honoring the greatness of marriage. There's no other relationship on this planet, on this earth, to which I am in a one flesh relationship with other than the woman of my youth. None. Not my children. Not you. No one else. In other words, that relationship is special and it's sacred and it needs to be honored in every form. It's also, I would say, the most difficult relationship I have on this planet because no one knows me like she does. No one wants the best for me like she does. <laughs> so she's always trying to help me become better. <laughs> it gets a little tiring to try and be better all the time, doesn't it? But we honor it. We honor marriage. Here, here's my point that I'm trying to get to in this You want your marriage to be different a year from now? You want your relationships to be different a year from now? Then start today. We'll start doing what? Build on the right foundation. Receive the truths of God's word concerning what he says about how he made us, how he's brought us together, and what he wants for our future. Honor marriage. But be realistic about it. Paul's saying, hey, don't marry. Don't marry. <laughs> this is Paul. Don't marry. It's tough. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. Well, praise God. I didn't sin when I got married. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. <laughs> Spare me what? Marriage. What? I thought that was what God made us, and it's good not to be alone. And I think Paul's given a realistic view that marriage is not easy. Marriage is difficult. Some of you are saying, Pastor, you're, you're, you're killing me here. I don't know if I'm supposed to be getting married or not supposed to be getting married. Do you know what? I want you to live at Peace in the moment, wherever God has placed you. At the same time, begin to sow seeds for your future so that you can, if you're here and you're single, sow seeds now. For what? Are you talking about, should I go online and start trying to find somebody? Is that what you're talking about? Sowing seeds? I'm only a spiritual advisor. I am not telling you to, uh, to hit the uh, circuit circuit. I am saying, I'm saying, start to sow seeds in your life so that when you do, when God does direct you in that day to become married, you'll be prepared. You, you won't have to start that moment sowing seeds for the future, Right? You with me? And, but you may be saying, well, what if God never has me to get married? Well, start sowing seeds for that too. God will give you wisdom on that. And if you're married, if you're divorced, if you're re-remarried, um, whatever the case may be, start sowing seeds today for the life that God intends for you to, to walk in in the future. God has a purpose. Jesus loves you. He's got a great plan for your marriage, for your family. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel condemned. Instead, let's just together walk out his plan as best we can. Ask for forgiveness when we fall. Keep moving forward. Lord, we thank you for your plans and your purposes in marriage. And Lord, pray that you would take whatever truths I've spoken this morning and just. Meld them into our hearts. Anything that I've said that's not from you, Lord, may just be seed that falls on ground and just is swept away by the wind. But Lord, we do believe you're the one who created, you're the one who's made us, you're the one who has a plan for us. You've redeemed us to walk out this plan. And though, Lord, it may be challenging, we ask that God, you would give us wisdom and grace for the future. I pray for every marriage here, I pray for every parent, I pray for every person who's single. Uh, f- whatever format that might be, and I pray, God, that your grace would be extended toward us. May we reflect, may we be a reflection of the reality of Christ and the church. In Jesus' name, amen.